0: This is Izzy Ritchie from the Strombellas.
1: Hi, I'm Jeremy Drury from the Strombellas, and And you're you're listening listening to Tobin Tobin Tonight.
2: Uh, So let's start off with how did you guys kind of become a part of the Strombellas? Because I know that a few of you are from Lindsay. There's the one outcast that's not... Uh, so tell us a little bit about how this all came to be.
0: The band started back, I guess it would have been December 2008. Not to date the band too much, but Simon put an ad on Craigslist and a bunch of us joined from Craigslist. I think there were 10 people in the band originally. I was one of the people that responded from a Craigslist ad. And then slowly over time, some of those people left and some of some people Simon knew from Lindsay would now move to Toronto, join the band. So we got down to it and then we decided we needed a drummer. So in comes Jer. <laughs> And Jer is also from Lindsay originally, but now living in Toronto. So the final lineup, four from Lindsay and two of us remaining Craigslisters are still in the band. Me and Dave on keyboards.
2: Jeremy, you play the drums uh, in in this band, in the Strumbellas. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to join the band and your interest in drums? Because I think that's interesting. I've tried drums and let me tell you, I'm like Joey. I'll throw him up in the air and then it just hits me in the eye and then it's like game over.
1: drums for me started when I was about 12 years old when a music program started at my school I was one of those kids that wasn't really good at sports so I didn't really have my thing that I was into and the music program came drums just kind of I guess the the natural ability I had came out and it just kind of you know started from there and and went on getting into the strombellas was I knew a couple members and actually played in in different bands with a couple of the members previous to the strombellas so when the time came that they were looking for a drummer, a couple of the members were like, well, what's Jer up to? Let's get him a call and see if he's available. So I, I, I thank my previous musical endeavors and friendships for uh, kind of landing me the, the position in the band.
2: Izzy, I believe uh, you were the one who kind of you said that you were involved with the the craigslist ad now you know that we were in a generation now where people might not know what a craigslist ad is uh you know like i look at kijiji kind of being a little bit dated but you know when you see this ad because i've i've gone through craigslist in terms of trying to find apartments like when i was in carlton going to university and you're kind of like skeptical you're like i don't know about this so like what was your what was the ad originally and how did you kind of were you a little bit nervous or were you like Screw it, I'm, I'm joining, whatever.
0: <laughs> I would say a little of both. Like I will say this is not the first band that I joined from <laughs> Craigslist. <laughs> there was like that time in my life, I think at that time, my apartment was from Craigslist, like my furniture. I think you would get jobs on Craigslist. And I'd grown up playing violin and I just kind of like had gone to that point. I was in university, I wasn't really playing anymore and I just missed it. So I just started going on The Musicians Wanted and I'd type in violin and see what came up. But it is funny, you know, you just like go to some random address in Toronto and say, I'm here for the band and like, fingers crossed, (laughs) hope for the best. Simon had a bunch of stuff up, also rest in peace, MySpace. So I could listen to the songs, I could tell that was like legit. And I was just like, excited to be part of it, mostly, but a little bit like, okay, I'm just gonna tell a few people where I'm going, just in case.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny, because I I know with... uh past interviews we've had on, like Mariana's Trench, I think Ian Castleman had said like in Vancouver, or I believe that's where they kind of started, you could put an ad in a newspaper. And he's seen the ad in the newspaper, but he said like, there was times that you'd go on Craigslist. I believe we had an act on from the UK, and they said the exact same thing. Pretty much they had like their own versions of Craigslist. And I'm like, that's really interesting. It's like hit or miss sometimes of like, someone can show up and do a great job. And then there's sometimes you're like, oh, we found this guy off Craigslist. What's the worst that could happen? It's like, ah, a lot, a lot, actually. <laughs> I, I wanna bring up to you before we get back to Jeremy with the question, uh, you mentioned about the violin. How did you really? get interested with violin? Because now in Newfoundland, I feel like that's kind of like a holy grail because of just yeah. the way that our traditions with music. So I feel like if you showed up one day and said, I can play the violin, there's a whole bunch of crowd. They're gonna be like, great. Center of attention right here. Put her in the middle. We're going to dance around her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I mostly played classical music growing up, but I'm from Wisconsin, and there's like a, quite a bit of like fiddling there as well. Not like the East Coast. So I wasn't really enjoying playing classical music that much. And then I saw this band, this Toronto band called Obijou, and I went. To the horseshoe tavern one night and they had a cello player and a violin player and i was just like i could do that and it was after i saw that band they were really inspiring to me to see what other kind of musical adventure i could go on i
2: like how again the way that the strum is kind of created it's like everyone kind of has a very distinctive instrument or sound right like you're so used to just say like a, a pop group coming out where you have like the main singer and of course, background singers. But like, I like that you don't like, in, personally for me, if I look at my own playlist, now someone else could come after me in the in the comments section after and be like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I love music with this instruments in it. But like, I look at my playlist, there's not a lot of, you know, violin being implemented. So I think that's something that stands out a little bit with strumbellas and just the unique sound. So to give both of you a compliment and whoever wants to chime in, feel free. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a combination sometimes of like the Lumineers when I listen to the Strumbellas. So I don't know if that's a compliment to you guys. You're like, we hate the Lumineers. Who are they?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's, we've definitely gotten that comparison before. And a lot of people love the Lumineers. We love, we love them too. So that's a good thing. And I think it kind of comes from the same place. Like when we started on that Craigslist ad, It was me on violin, but we had a banjo player. We had mandolin. We had a clarinet player. We were just like, let's see what sounds work and what makes sense. And that's sort of how we ended up where we were. But also that definitely that alt country sound that really influenced the Lumineers as well.
2: Jeremy, uh, my my question here to you is now, of course, in this band, being the drummer, do you have, do, do you sometimes come up with your own kind of system or like beats and then kind of presented to them of saying, okay, I've got a, I've got a beat here, let's work on it. Or is it more or less like a collective agreement?
1: I'd say more of a collective agreement. I think when, you know, we start working on songs and when they're in demo form, there's a lot of musical talent outside everyone's own instruments. So we can get demos from people and they've already got an idea for the drums on them. You know, as a, as a bit of a songwriter myself, I totally appreciate that the songwriter has this idea in their head that this is the groove that I'm feeling. This is the, you know, this is the direction that I'm going with it. So a lot of the times I'll kind of take those cues from, you know, Simon being the principal songwriter, you know, he'll throw drums on a demo. And and like I said, I'll take the cue from that and kind of yeah. build. So it's not often, I, I know other bands who do that where the drummer will present an idea. I, I feel like a great example of that was Arkell's Knocking At The Door, uh, Tim yeah. Oxford, that kind of rolling drum beat and the song was built around that, and I kind of thought to myself, why can't I do that? Why <laughs> do that? But it's not our process, it's just kind of not how we uh, go through things. So, And I mean, there's times where demos will have drums on them, and I really won't like it, and I'll kind of push for something else, and we'll see if we can find a compromise. But I think that's key for everything, is that there is compromise within the drums, within all the instrumentation, and kind of everybody has the ability to say, hey, I really like that, or that's not really working for me, can we try something different? So once the meat and the potatoes of the song's there, it's it's really anybody's game to garnish and kind of add the flavors that they
2: want. I'm glad you kind of brought that up with the Arkells, because I was going to mention with different bands, I know with Marianas Trench, when it comes to Josh Ramsey, when we had Ian on in his episode, he mentioned like, you know, Josh will sometimes be humming a song or humming a beat and the next minute it becomes a song and they're all kind of like confused, but they like trust the process of, okay, he knows what he's doing. And I think Chuck Como from Simple Plan had mentioned sometimes he'll come up with the beat and then they write the song around the beat. So it's a good combination. Sometimes the songwriter takes the charge and says, here we go, can you do this? And sometimes it's the musical side of like a drummer in a band going like, here's what I can do, can we work around this? I, I think that's interesting when you mentioned about the Arkells, because I actually didn't know that. So I think that's interesting. Like he just comes up and says, this is what I want. Let's do it around this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, it's also interesting too, because it's, you know, we've, we've had songs change their entire feel from what they started out as. Even though so- the songwriter might have the idea, as soon as someone says, well, what, what if we shuffle it a bit? Or what if we swing it a bit? and you take it out of it just being straight or the, or, or the reverse of it. Maybe it's something that's a little bit, you know, feels a little bit too bluesy and we want to kind of take it out of that realm. Then, you know, it's really just kind of letting the song develop, letting the ideas come together, and then the song kind of becomes its own entity. And, you know, everybody just kind of understands what that entity is and what it needs to kind of get it to its next level or to get it to completion.
2: Izzy have you ever like just ran into a room playing the violin going like here let's work around this?
0: <laughs> no I think there's been one or two times where I put a line on and people say oh that kind of takes the song in a different direction so I think there's times where the violin sort of molds the direction of the song but I won't say that a song has ever been written around the violin yet.
2: Yeah 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 I feel like <laughs> once this, I feel like, when this podcast is over you two are going to be like well if I could do this and you could do that, okay, let's meet Simon. And then Simon's like, "Great! Now, can we somehow work this all together?" And then you're like, "Buddy, Tobin on the podcast said we could, so we're going to do it. We want some say in this." Now, I, I think it's cool that you've come on uh, this podcast, and I again, I appreciate just being with Canadian talent because it's not. Every day we have people that come on this podcast that have also performed on Late Night with Seth Meyer. Now, I'm a Conan guy. I've always said I'm a Conan guy, but I like late night shows. So to have you guys come on, like, what was that like going on? I guess seeing like this American audience being on a late night show. Yeah, you're there to perform, but like, were you you nervous? Were you like, okay, this is a new audience that we could kind of uh, get people invested in?
1: All of it feels like it happened so fast it was hard to tell what was going on. I, I, the first late night we did I think was, um we did Kimmel, I believe that was the first one and it was kind of really early on in our kind of breaking out in the states and I think you know it, it ultimately really really helped and it's it's almost so overwhelming because not you know you go on stage and it's you know you've kind of got your crew and your people you're working with and, you know, you set up the stage, you want to do it. And you kind of have all these comforts and you go on one of these shows and it's very like, okay, here's where you're doing this. Uh, we've got the cameras. So we need to make sure you're here and you're here and you're doing this. And then, you know, obviously, you know, a, a, a massive television star kind of walks in the room yeah. and you're kind of like, I'm a, from a small town in Ontario and to be, you know, standing next to, you know, a Seth Meyers or, or a Conan O'Brien or a Jimmy Kimmel's kind of just like, wow, I'm here. And it's just <laughs> almost so overwhelming that, yes, it's in your mind of like, okay, there's like literally millions of people on the other side of these cameras that are watching it. But I think we were probably experienced enough to, you know, have shot live footage and kind of been, in, been behind cameras. So there was a little bit of comfort with that. But still in the back of your mind, you're just thinking like, I'm here. This is an awesome experience. I can't believe I'm here. Don't mess up. (laughs) It almost kind of took me back to like, you know, say my really early performing days when you don't have that same level of confidence that you build and grow over time, where, like I said, you know, you kind of find your comfort zone for performing and, all that's kind of taken away by these new elements that are put in there. So the whole experience was just, it, you know, kind of really rewarding. And, and I'm, you know, I'm so happy that we got to take part in them. But it almost seems like it's all just a bit of a blur because so much was going on and it kind of everything just happened so fast that it was really, it, it was kind of difficult to kind of have one of those moments where you just stop and you kind of look at your bandmates going like, can you believe, <laughs> can you happening and it's just, everybody's just super focused on, I've got a job to do, whether that's to play the right notes or to stand in the position they asked you to stand. <laughs> so yeah, it's just all really overwhelming, but so, so satisfying for, you know, uh, basically a bunch of b- bunch of kids from a small town that are playing the game with the, with the big boys on network television in the US.
2: Izzy, do you have anything to add there before I, I make a comment there?
0: Yeah, like like Jared mentioned, you know, the first one is so overwhelming and scary. And they're like, you only have one chance. And we've been so lucky to do a number over the course of our year. So by the time we were on Seth Meyers, don't get me wrong, it was still very nerve wracking and exciting. And it, it's a new place, but you did, it's a different level kind of from the panic of the first one to like the excitement of the of the fourth one where you're like, oh, I can really enjoy this now. I can enjoy the moment in the way I couldn't for the first time.
2: No, no, I, I understand that. I, I kinda wanna go off a little bit of both dialogues here of what you mentioned. Like it, it it's to me, for someone like who grew up or who grew up watching comedy and loving comedy, it's like, you know, if you got invited to do uh, Jimmy Kimmel and it's your first one, like regardless who it was for your first one, you're like, okay. Uh, don't bomb, just go out there and hope it goes well. But like by your yeah. second, third, fourth one, you're like, okay, I've got the nerves a little bit controlled. I've got like almost like that rookie over the hill kind of thing. Like I've done it. So it's not as surprising. And to go off uh, Jeremy's point, like, yeah, I, I feel like it's a little bit more nerve wracking if you're like the main guy on the stage, or if you're Simon, who has to like, just say, sing it all. And then it's like, you mess up a note, and you're just they're like, for you guys, it's pretty simple. I'm like we didn't mess up. I didn't mess up, so let's just keep doing our part. And then, like, when it's all over, be like, Simon, what happened? <laughs> but luckily, it didn't happen. Luckily, none of that happens. I like that. That kind of brought in another audience for you guys. I believe in the states because it's nice to see Canadian X kind of get that exposure in the states or just anywhere else. Because we're so used to, you know, getting the U.S. side come up here because it's a bigger geographically. But yeah, to see Canadian X. Go over the other way and become well known. Even if, just say, it's in someone's basement in Michigan, and they're like, "Hey, like, have you heard of the strombellas And they're like, "What are the strombellas And it's like, "Oh, it's like I'm so glad I discovered them. This is my band." <laughs> say it to someone in Canada. Like, yeah, no, we know. Like, they're like, okay.
1: I, I think just kind of just just thinking about what you said there. Like, you know, it, our, our our journey through the U.S. D- did not start on network television. It did start playing pool halls in strip malls to people playing video games while we performed <laughs> quite, quite literally. So it was, you know, there was a lot, we put in a lot of work. There was a, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, yeah, kind of slogging it out, you know, not necessarily, you know, kind of starting from scratch, you know, when, when we started playing before I even joined started playing, like it was, you know, from nothing, um, playing at farmer's markets to people that were walking by. Um, I think you guys like to talk about with pickles <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> by just being like, Hmm, catchy tune. You know, we we had a bit of a start like that in the U.S. as well. We did have that experience. When we did sign with Glassnote, that did kind of change a whole lot for us because we it kind of opened up access to some of the booking agents and access to a little bit larger shows, um, you know, things that weren't in basements in Michigan, you know. So that really helped out. And, you know, with the radio success, we were able to get into a lot of the uh, like radio stations uh, a lot of times they have summer festivals. You think of how like, you know, Edge Fest would happen in Toronto for per- yeah. the edge there. You know, just kind of every, every city that's got an alt station does one of these types of festivals. So we'd get on some of those bills and that would expose us to more people. You circle back around next time you're on touring, doing your own club show, you know, and hearing from people that were like, oh yeah, I, I caught you at this radio station set. You know, six months ago, you were awesome, you know, can't wait till you come back again, kind of thing. So as much as it might seem like it was a little bit of an overnight success in the U.S., there was, you know, a fair bit of growth leading up to that. And then, yeah, starting to work with an American label and kind of have American agents that laid a bit of the groundwork for us to just kind of trudge on through and keep doing our things, um, you know, winning fans over one at a time, if that's what it took. When you look at bands, when you look at anyone that's kind of
2: making their way in an industry, It's like as soon as you see them become a little bit famous or you see a little bit more attention, you're like, oh, that's happened overnight. Or like, okay, like that's great for them. But like, you don't really see the hard work that goes behind it until you're like really invested in that band. Like, if I was using examples of a a One Direction or a Michael Bublé, I know that's like completely two different polar opposites. So, congrats to me for coming up with polar opposites. But it's like, you know, you, you see them on TV and you're like, Oh, well, good for them. Like out of nowhere. And then when you watch a movie or you read a book on like Buble or One Direction, you're like, oh, wow. okay, so this could have at any point really just been the turning point of like, I'm done. Like this is over. You have to look at that at some point and say, look at look at where we started. Look at where we're to.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think I think we definitely we had our own point like that where before spirits we said oh this might be the last album like we've been a band for five or six years at that point and you're slogging it out and you do have this thing where like you're seeing your audience grow but it's not growing fast enough (laughs) to support a six person band who a couple people have kids and it's just hard and then to have this moment where it takes you to the next next level with a song like spirits just made all the difference it was like oh thank god we (laughs) didn't give up and we never saw it you know doing what it did it was exceeded our expectations i
2: like that and i like how you brought up just spirits in general because my actual story with that song and it might come a little bit of one that you've heard before or very stereotypical but uh, i was in a radio program at algonquin kind of getting ready for this kind of career and you know you're on doing DJ work so we had one station that was just Ottawa local so any Ottawa band you promote and I'm like okay that's cool we're promoting smaller towns. We have another one that was for mainstream and on both stations which I thought was kind of odd we played Strombella's. So I'm like okay I get their mainstream but like why are we playing this on the Ottawa channel but okay whatever <laughs> yeah like one of our uh, one of the classmates came out and I was like right before my first shift he's like I, I effing love this song this is a great tune and I'm like okay so I'm, I'm not really feeling it yet, but like anything when you hear it enough, it gets entrenched, <laughs> it gets entrenched in you. And then like by the end of the day, it's like the baby shark song. It just <laughs> it got I'm just there going down the house. Like, I've got and I'm like, and I'm like, where is this coming from? Like it's not even playing. And then he just walks by and he's like, told you, told you to get stuck in your head. So in, in mentioning, of course, about spirits and that success, I know you had like you were getting nominated for Juno's, and then you won the Juno Award. And then it kind of, of course, I guess this is kind of a Canadian Heritage Minute in the making. I'm only kidding, but it'd be be funny if it did. But it got kind of cut off or the feed got cut off. And some people weren't too happy about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for the, for the, it was announced at the gala. And so all of our family and friends were watching at home and the, and the feed got cut off. And so then we were like, I think getting texts, like what happened? What happened? We don't know. <laughs> Cause it wasn't on the live broadcast. It was just a funny moment for the, you to achieve this thing. And then your mom to be texting you, wait, wait, what happened? And you were like, no, we, we actually won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was a, it was a funny coincidence at that point, but all, all in good fun, I think.
2: Jeremy, what was, what's your take on that? Like, cause I can just imagine, like, I know I, I'm not, I'm just kind of poking fun of it as a Canadian aspect, but like down here, when you see like the Canadian heritage m- moments of like, you know, how Winnie the Pooh came to be Winnie the Pooh, how Superman became Superman. I just love to see a heritage moment where it's like, and then they got up to the stage and midway through it got cut off. Canada heritage moment. And then you're just still like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs>
1: admittedly i totally forgot about that until you brought it up and <laughs> discussing it here so but i actually think that probably speaks volumes for the experience for me that i wasn't i didn't get hung up on it at all or it didn't you know maybe it maybe it didn't bother me as it um i'm sure i was texting with my mother as well who's a you know kind of a big fan of the band and you know always been you know championed by music and my, my efforts and whatnot that's not the highlight from that evening yeah it just kind of tells yeah. me that just like nah, whatever you know things happen things always don't don't always go according to plan and you know and I think and I don't know if it was part of a broadcast or if it was just part of a live stream and I feel like you know we are going back a couple years we don't have we maybe didn't have the technology as uh, up-to-date as we do now and able you know to do these types of things (laughs) as as easily so technical glitch somewhere the day, ah, uh, that's all right, that, that's fine by me.
2: I know a few years ago, I think John Oliver did a thing about, you know, election songs, and people weren't happy about some uh, politicians use their song, and they're like, I don't support this, what are you doing? But you guys, your one hand up was used by like the Liberal Party. Um, did they kind of come to you beforehand and and again i'm not not saying like oh you're affiliated with the liberal party because again getting song exposure is great but like did they come to you beforehand to ask at least uh
0: yeah in that case they came to us and we were you know six people with uh differing political views i would say that but um, in the case of that particular election um it was felt like something that we should get behind and that uh we were ha- happy for the liberal party to use our song And one hand up that song uh just seemed to fit really well and so we were honored that they thought oh this could be in a good good election song so yeah they they did they did ask us before they didn't just uh yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> use it without our permission and we're like what are you doing no it wasn't like
2: that i thought it was really like another great way to get your music out there and get exposure and like you know regardless if it was conservative liberal ndp whatever like for them to kind of come to you and say like we like the song we want to use it i mean that has to kind of put like as old, as old as it sounds, like put a feather in your cap, uh, you know, cause it's giving you more exposure. It's an actual, like a big government kind of party coming and saying, we love this song. So it's another branch that you can reach.
1: And I, and I think it's such you know, the message of the song is so positive. And I think, you know, if it was any party that was, was using it, any, any party is looking to be positive, to, to motivate Canadians, Um, you know, whether, you know, obviously each party's trying to get people on their side, you know, at that very least it's promoting people to be involved in politics and to be informed and to, um, you know, go out and, 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 you know, exercise their right to vote. Then I think it's, it's the kind of thing where, you know, hopefully a band doesn't get pigeonholed into whatever party that they were working with. And as Izzy said, you know, like we, we don't agree on so many things as (laughs) different individuals but I think that's part of what makes us work is that we do challenge each other you know and kind of do hold each other to task and as decisions are needed and people are steered in different directions then you know allowing that 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 voice that's maybe like you know well, I don't really want to go with this yeah. you know letting them be heard you know and then just giving them the vote and it just seems like it's you know maybe there's politicians we might not one to be, <laughs> Yeah. And I actually think, I, I think we had a request from a U.S. politician at one point. I think we declined that opportunity as it was just something that, you know, wasn't necessarily close enough to us, but to be involved in, uh, you know, Canadian parties, um, uh, their campaign trail, I guess, you know, it, it, you know, again, in this whole, like, you know, just very Canadian of us, it was, yeah, we're in. Sounds good. Positive message. People being positive, you know, <laughs> uh, ties in.
2: And this is the side of things that I think is interesting from, you know, depending on your PR's perspective, depending on your own individual perspective, it's like, okay, is this good for us? Is it good for the band? Like, do we really want to be kind of tied up in this? Because even though you might see all the positive and good in it, there's always going to be someone out there that's going to be like, oh, what? Like, why? And then you're just yeah. kind of like, oh, we, we never really thought that part through, or we weren't really considering that part, but I kind of do like that you know, even using that song for the Liberal Party, it was just more or less, like you said, a very positive message. If anyone had to come to you and say, can we use it? Great. In my own mind, and this is kind of the comical side of thing, is it would have been funny if one hand up was used from the Liberal Party, Spirits was used from another party. It's like, <laughs> all right, let's get to those strumbellas. Let's figure out who do they really support. It's like, we support everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I want to mention this, of course, with the time and you guys are working on a a new album, doing new recordings. How is that going during COVID? Like, is it like, you know, like, is he sending uh, a violin sample, you sending a drum sample, and then it's like, let's mix it all together. Or do you find time somewhere to like do Zoom chats or meet in some kind of capacity to try to get this all together?
0: Yeah, it's been interesting. I think we, I had been thinking about music through this year, sending stuff back and forth on email a lot, um, Zoom calls. And then we did end up going into the studio last week. And it was totally different from a normal studio in some ways in that we weren't having a lot of people coming and going and we were wearing masks all the time and sort of just limiting contact. But in other ways, it was totally normal. Like we're just in there working together and it was nice to, or to have the same experience, I guess, and just be together in a room like we hadn't been all together in a room in almost a year, you know, just, just with some added masks and some added social distancing.
1: And I I think part of our process is, has very much for previous recordings been sharing demos over email. You know, it's something that we're kind of used to. So yeah, you get a demo and you put your own part over top and you send it back and then you know, kind of everybody says, yeah, no, what about this? Let's try this kind of thing. So I think the only, the the only real difference is that we didn't do what, what I would consider um, like pre-production where, you know, after we've got all these demos from the emails sorted out, we would go, you know, go into a room with the producer, you know, sometimes several days, just kind of like really hashing out, okay, let's play the song, start to finish, figure out how it's all going to work. Whereas this time, you know, that pre-production, was, it was it was just kind of done over email. You know, previously we might have, say, I don't know, eight or ten versions of a song that kind of come through. This time we had maybe 30 or 40 versions of a song come oh, through. Wow. <laughs> it's actually it's difficult for me. I have trouble focusing sometimes. So when you're looking at an email and you've got six emails for two songs in your inbox and it's like yeah. version four, Daryl, you know, uh, <laughs> version seven, Dave, and it's kind of like, okay, what's going on here, everybody? So yeah, that was a little bit different. And yeah, just kind of really strange that by the time we got to the studio to actually record it, like we hadn't as a band gotten in a room and actually played the song start to finish. It was very kind of pieced together um, as far as individual parts go. But, um, you know, having that main demo that we had been working on over email as, uh, you know, as our roadmap, uh, you know, was super helpful. Um, and then by the time, like I said, we got to the studio and we're working with the producer, the producer kind of offering their feedback as well. Um, and just being like, yeah. So I listened to your 40 demos, <laughs> this part from this one and this part from this one, and we just kind of married it all together. Um, maybe, um, maybe recorded maybe a lot more material for each of the songs than we normally would, because there was a few things where it was like, does this part, you know, do we need a tambourine for this part? Well, I don't know, but let's record it just in case we decide we want a tambourine. So I think, you know, one of the, one of the tracks we're working on, it was up to 150 or so different tracks within the song. You know, whether or not the 150 make it on the final version, yeah. yet to be determined. Um, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just getting started on the mixing process now. We, we've got a number of records under our belt. You know, we've done a lot of recordings together. We, we have a pretty good sense, I feel. I would like to think at this point that we have a pretty good sense of um you know what we need to be both prepared going into the studio and you know kind of what we're looking for when we are there in covid
2: how have you guys managed to stay sane like i mean i'm looking at izzy i'm looking at jeremy you guys look like done up to the nines done up to the tens here it's not like you just roll out of bed for this interview
0: good question you know it has its ups and downs it's definitely weird to be in a band where you 've been touring the most of the last five years and then to be home, so uh, it's weird, but it 's good, so I'm just trying to enjoy my time at home with my family and keep busy and keep some sort of schedule and just kind of try and enjoy the time at home because we don't normally get that
1: yeah i I tend to agree with that it's it, just the the lifestyle that we have lived is is you know such a certain way, and it's you know such a certain routine. It, it's really important at this point to kind of like find those positives. You know, this is something that's just, you know, obviously just greatly out of our control, greatly out of so many people's control. And you could spend your time kind of, you know, pulling your hair out, just going crazy, wondering, you know, when's the vaccine coming? Whenever, when's everything going to open up? When's everything going to be fine? You know, if you were doing that since February, March of this year, yeah, you'd probably be struggling at this point, but it is just finding those positives. It is like, I get to be at, you know, I, I get to be at home. I get to, you know, take care of those things that walking around the house going, oh, I need to fix the hinge on that door. Finally taking the time to fix the hinge yeah. on that door <laughs> and just being totally cool with it. And, you know, spending the time with family, spending the time with loved ones um, that we can. Obviously, I'm, I'm missing a lot of my family. I don't quite live around. Uh, I got family back in Lindsay and in, in, in Ottawa as well. But, you know, spending time with my girlfriend, um, you know being able to go on you know afternoon walks uh, she's back to work now but you know certain little things that you just I don't know if I miss them when we're busy and on the road because it's just you're not necessarily thinking about them the same way but yeah certainly you know at this point you know when there is that opportunity and you know you kind of do have these thoughts and you're just like okay yeah look at the positive in this what am I enjoying about this what are things that I'm enjoying about and yeah just trying to focus on that and not trying to focus on. Oh my God, I don't know when our next gig's going to (laughs) be. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I like how just your answer just made me
2: kind of think of, even with COVID myself, of what I kind of like. It's it's weird because, you know, if you say like, oh, this is the thing I like about COVID, people are going to be like, you're a monster. What do you like about COVID? But making you think of things that maybe you underappreciated, I guess. So like for me, I'm usually up in Ontario or in Ottawa. And because of COVID, I came home to Newfoundland and... You know, I get to see my niece and nephew a lot more than just at Christmas. Um, they enjoy me being around like 70-30 split, you know, 70 time yes, 30 time no, depending on the day. Yeah. And it's and I, I kind of look at COVID as like almost like a dog or a pet's dream world where their owner is always around, where they're like, wait, you're telling me you don't have to go anywhere for a while? This is great news. Why Why are you so bummed? Like, you have me. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure dogs and cats right now are really like, oh my God, please go back to work, please.
1: I'm done. I'm done with you. (laughs) Like, we couldn't know these things without it happening. And I think, you know, a great example was, you know, seeing clear skies in parts of the world that are normally extremely polluted or, you know, seeing things happen in waterways that never did. Like, we wouldn't be able to see those had this not happened. Obviously, no, I don't want people just being like, oh, dude, you're crazy. Like, you know, there's no positive sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think with, you know, so much in life, it's just looking for that silver lining and just whatever it is that you can find that does keep you going, that keeps you motivated, that, you know, gets you out of bed every morning, not pulling your hair out, going crazy. Because yeah, no, and I'm just trying to be positive here (laughs) because I would just be 100% depressed and just laying in bed all day. And I'm just trying to do my best, remain positive and just to be hopeful that, you know, we will overcome this. We'll get through it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to hug my bandmates without wearing a mask again someday. <laughs> and
2: I, I, I want to kind of get with uh, with Izzy here, because I've noticed throughout this uh, interview, I, I like what Izzy's wearing. And I know that's like a little bit odd for me to notice, but like it's very colorful.
0: Oh, yeah. This is um, uh, from my mom. This is my mom's from the 80s or early 90s. And it's become just like my go-to... Um, Cardigan, I love it. It's crazy. I think I took out the shoulder pads.
2: Yeah, I, I was gonna say like in the utmost compliment way. So I, I wanna stress that because again, it all depends on if you watch shows, if you don't, but like I, I'm a big fan of watching like the Goldbergs, and it seems like something that the the mom on the Goldberg would wear. And I and like I love the mom on the Goldberg, but it's yeah. like, as soon as I seen it, I was just still, like I was like, has she has she been watching the Goldbergs? <laughs> it's like it's <laughs>
0: I haven't seen that, but I think my was going through my mom's closet at one point. She's getting rid of stuff. She's like, how about this? And at the time I was like, what? I wouldn't wear that. Now I wear it all the time. (laughs) I wear it all the time.
2: Have you been catching up on like some TV shows, uh, like some movies? Like what's kind of something that you probably were postponing that now you're like, okay, great. I've got time now to do this.
1: I I mean, just because you asked. (laughs) (laughs) I, I released a solo record this year um oh, nice and it, was, and it was something that um i've been kind of picking away and working at for um several years actually just kind of in between strombella's tours uh i'd go to the studio and kind of do a little bit of work and um yeah kind of not having anything in the schedule really kind of gave me a block of time to kind of focus on that and work on that but i mean i guess that's kind of a, a, a big deal i suppose
2: don't sell yourself short there jeremy come on
1: you, i do- you, you
2: talk that up. You talk that up big time.
1: <laughs> Get it done. You know, check, check, check it out. JeremyDury.com. Uh, I, as far as like other things, like I, i um, watching a lot of TV. Yes. You know, rewatched the Sopranos for, I think maybe the fourth time in, in my life earlier this year, I watched a whole bunch of Homeland that I hadn't seen. I'm just trying to think there's actually been, there's there's been several we ended up getting the uh the HBO upgrade on on crave and kind of going okay. through stuff they have uh watching the newsroom at the moment but yeah just kind of really getting caught up on some on on mainly series that you really know you should watch but never ne- maybe necessarily haven't had the time to do it so there's been a lot of that i i will fully <laughs>
0: <laughs> um i don't know um I've just been like spending, I have a two year old, so I've been spending a lot of time with him, especially since like the first year of his life, we were touring a lot and he and my husband like were on tour with us, but also separate a lot. So I've been doing a lot of mom time. And the thing that we've been watching a lot of is, uh, one is Bones, which is like, my guilty pleasure and like every couple of years i rewatch. and the other is uh rupaul's drag race my husband and i love watching it and can canada's drag race that just ended as well so we have a lot of fun watching that we're big fans okay. but there's a lot of seasons so.
2: i know with myself i i was catching up on comedy stuff but like there's I, I feel like i'm one of these type of people that i'm not an easy person to, pl- to please or if someone's telling me like even if i had the um like if someone said you got 20 years to watch this at some point you have to, I'm just like, Oh yeah, I'll definitely watch it. Definitely watch it. And then like the day that it's like, it goes off air. I'm like, Oh, I really should have watched that. Or like, Oh, uh, I'll catch up on it now. Like there are shows and I might be kind of dating myself here a little bit too, but like I, I grew up with saved by the bell, like family matters, full house. I recently just purchased like saved by the bell at college years on DVD. I know, like, I've seen it since I was smaller. I'll watch, like, maybe five episodes and be like, I remember this being really good. And then when Oof. I'll see, like, five episodes, i be like, ah,
1: all right, five episodes it is. That's enough yeah. of that. I'm sorry, Saved by the Bell college years? Yeah. I don't know if I ever knew that that existed. Is it the same cast?
2: Yeah, so, like, once they finished, I, I believe, their high school, it- it's-, it's very interesting. So I'm, like, a kind of a-, a nerd when it comes to, like, old kind of TV shows or, like, 90s sitcoms. So, okay yeah like I was probably maybe seven or eight at the time, but I used to watch it on t b s on like a rainy day, so like yeah originally, I think Zach was involved uh Mario Lope, well, I'm mixing the names, but of course Zach slater
1: uh, was screech as terrible a person in his college years as he <laughs>
2: <laughs> i I feel like he's learned i feel like I feel like he's still a little bit of, a little bit of a sneak <laughs> um but yeah, like originally they didn't have Kelly, so i allowed i think there's like the first two episodes didn't have Kelly and um, people were like, okay, like, am I going to be still invested? And like by the fourth episode, like Kelly's coming to
1: college. And then they're like, okay, we're, we're going to watch this again. I'm super happy that you invited us to be on this podcast. Cause now I know that years <laughs> exists and we're talking about the real issues now, but- really
2: <laughs> i want to mention this just to kind of close out the interview uh because again where we're talking canadian canadian band here as well um give me your best kind of canadian story that you can think of that like you think would only happen kind of distinctively in canada we call the, we call it on this show how canadian an example i'll give you is we've had splash and boots on um you know kids entertainment i'm, I'm sure izzy knows all about splash and boots but they mentioned, oh, we were late for this interview because I got held up by a polar bear. So what's like a very how Canadian story you can think of?
0: I would say uh, for me, like a how Canadian is our most Canadian gig ever. And we did like a halftime show for a winter classic in Winnipeg and we were like the played between periods. And I'm not really a hockey fan, but you know, there were, we we met Wayne Gretzky (laughs) And uh, I feel like that was like pretty much the most Canadian gig you can have, playing at a Jets game.
1: I'd have to think my example actually like just predates, predates the band actually. Um, and it was an experience I had in another band. It, it was my high school band, there was four of us. We we had a, a, a 1978 GMC Rally STX, and we were driving it from Lindsay, Ontario to um, to Vancouver, and got a flat tire middle of nowhere. I can't remember. I, it might've been in Alberta somewhere, you know, kind of, it was the fall, it was getting chilly and we blew a tire. We're pulled over on the side of the highway. No one's around, you know, kind of middle of nowhere. We, 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 we pull out the jack and we get our spare tire out. We start jacking up the van, but because we were literally like moving from Lindsay to Vancouver, we had all of our gear and all of our stuff in the van and it made it too heavy for the jack so the jack actually kind of like folded and the van came down while the top was off so you know just you can just imagine how difficult of a situation that is so you know we're four uh i guess we were 18 19 year old kids probably had long hair like this back then too and you know sure enough a guy comes by and he's like what well, you know what's going on here kind of thing and it's oh okay well you need a proper jack i'll go get one oh, wow. and dude like you're amazing so the guy literally lived half an hour from where we were gets in his car drives half an hour to his house comes back the other half hour with this other jack jacks up the van get helps us get the tire on and we're on our way but it was just the kind of thing of just like this person meets a, a random van full of musicians and strangers on the side of a highway somewhere in alberta and it's just like yeah, I'll, 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 I'll take an hour out of my day to help you guys out. And that's really something that I felt was rather Canadian um, in that, you know, we didn't end up having to call a tow truck. This guy was just the kindness of his heart, saw some people in need, and and helped him out. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Isabella Ritchie and Jeremy Drury of the Strombellas for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, thank you for listening and good night.
2: Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app.
0: Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com.
1: What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com. Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com.
0: It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Off Media Company podcast.